American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. In the 1820s, people talked about the panic, just as in the 1920s, people would talk about the World War. In the 1820s, they were talking about what we now call the Panic of 1819. They didn't realize that there would be many other panics. Because in the 19th century, the process of financial panics that lead to massive economy-wide depressions was a fairly new thing. We'd had boom and bust cycles before. We'd had financial bubbles like the Dutch tulip mania, which ultimately burst. But because the economies uh, in which those bubbles burst were not as large and as dense and as integrated, they didn't have the same kind of massive traumatic effect but they start to have that kind of traumatic effect in the 19th century. And eventually, people start to notice them and talk about them and wonder why panics happen. Karl Marx, for instance, uh, had a long section on the repeated crises of capitalism, as he called them. And the funny thing is, after the Great Depression, in the United States and elsewhere in the Western world, we eventually stop talking about these depressions which are caused by financial crises. In part, that's because we thought we had solved the problem. We thought they weren't going to happen again. After 2008, people began to recalibrate that view. And they began to think a bit more uh, coherently and carefully about what causes panics. So what I'm going to do in, in the next uh, subsection here is, is talk a little bit about the causes of financial panics. And then I'll talk about the consequences of the one that erupts in 1837. So there are three key preconditions which typically have to be present for a financial crisis to occur. And each of these was present in the 1830s. Each of them was building up. So let's, let's talk about what those were, and we'll use the specific example of the 1830s. All right, the first one is an absence of regulation. This had clearly happened in the wake of the government's decision to uh, block the recharter of the Bank of the U.S. and take away its authority to regulate the amount of credit that individual banks were lending out to borrowers. Now, for a few years, things, out, things work out very well, right? Uh, borrowers are able to get easy credit and they're able to expand their operations pretty rapidly. But of course, their level of debt is building up just as rapidly or even more rapidly. So that's the first condition, absence of regulation. The second condition is the arrival of new financial innovations. And we see this happening in the 1830s as well. We see the bonds that are issued by the southern states, by the southern state banks, which essentially securitize enslaved human beings and sell them as commodities on the financial markets of the world. These, pump, these processes pump huge amounts of credit into New Orleans and Natchez, and it flows out into the cotton and sugar regions of the Southwest. And there's one more, a third condition. And that's what some economists and psychologists would call new era thinking, the idea that this time is different. Financial conditions have changed so rapidly and so completely that traditional economic rules of supply and demand, of boom and bust, these things don't apply anymore. And the future is going to hold nothing 
but consistent growth. Just as some people were predicting in 2004 or 2005 that the Dow Jones index, which was then about 10,000, would rise to 100, 150,000. This kind of thinking is also clearly present in the, 18, in the 1830s in the boom. People are not planning for the future. They're not concerned about the amount of debt they're accumulating, and they're essentially ready for a huge collapse. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank you.